Miss the show, no worries, on point, and on this podcast, nothing but breaking news as we look at the situation between Russia and Ukraine and the entire world. Lots of new developments as far as targeting Vladimir Putin with more sanctions, but the real heart of the matter is the oil. We are buying 700 million barrels of blood oil from Russia. When is that going to stop? Our reliance on foreign oil has put this country and the world at risk. Canada is a solution to this. We can provide the world with ethical oil. And if this is not the wake-up call, nothing will be. So we'll talk about that, the importance for us to not be reliant on the tyrants of the world and become the energy leaders moving forward. We'll also talk to Terry Glavin, who has penned a terrific piece for the National Post, where he talks about the fact that we have to crush Putin and his oligarchs, hunt them down, and finish them off if we, if we want to actually solve this. So we'll talk with him about what he sees happening and how far this will go. And we also talked to retired Major General David Fraser, who has a pretty ominous warning about how bad he thinks this is. In fact, he said to me, I've never seen anything as bad as this in my lifetime. So that gives you a bit of a heads up as to how serious this situation is. Let's get talking. This is On Point with Alex Pearson. We will be imposing sanctions on President Putin and his fellow architects of this barbaric war, his chief of staff and foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov. These men bear the greatest responsibility for the death and destruction occurring in Ukraine. Additionally, I am confirming Canada's support to remove Russia from the SWIFT payment system, a critical part of the global banking system. We've made it clear that all options are on the table when it comes to imposing steep costs on Russia's unjustified and unprovoked invasion, and that includes taking steps to exclude Russia from making financial transactions around the world. Good. Don't stop. Hit Putin where it hurts and now cut off his oil. Alex Pearson with you on this Friday 25th. Oh, my God. You had told me the week would look like this, the beginning of the week when it was all about the truckers and now on the verge of possibly a third world war. I mean, it is confounding. But there are a lot of nonstop developments that are breaking by the minute at this hour. Russia's military now surrounding Ukraine's capital with a goal, of course, of decapitating Ukraine's government and then putting their own leadership in place. And that all could happen in the next few hours. So we could start to see some of the bigger human losses that we have seen. Uh, Ukraine's president, Vladimir Zelensky, is not leaving. He knows that he will likely be killed, and yet he's armed, and he's ready to fight, and his parliamentarians are standing with him. They are not going to go without a, a fight on this. But the big new development uh, taking place in the last couple of hours on the political front is that the United States, United Kingdom, and Canada are now directly targeting Putin and his thugs and are aligned in kicking Russia out of the world banking system. He cannot expect to overturn and end 75 years of peace with a violent and unprovoked attack on an innocent neighbor and still expect to be able to benefit from the financial systems and economic opportunities that that very peace has created over the past 75 years. So right now, Germany and Italy are against doing this because they rely on Russian energy. And so the big worry for them is that they'll be cut off. So they are now held hostage to this tyrant, which then puts all of us at risk. 
And Terry Glavin uh, writes a terrific piece in the National Post, which I think everyone should read. Um, and he lays it out. You know, Putin and his cronies need to be crushed, hunted to the ends of the earth, their assets seized, and we need to utterly destroy every single one of them. And that is not happening right now. So Glavin's going to join me at 9 o'clock for a lengthy conversation because he explains how the game has changed completely. He writes in part, This is now a war in Europe waged by a decrepit nuclear-armed state with veto power on the United Nations Security Council. What's happening now is the bloody imperialist conquest of a European democracy, a country of more than 40 million people, a country immensely rich in culture and resources, a country larger than France. So it's good that Putin's been targeted directly, but the problem is the wolf is in the hen house. In the hen house. And, and half measures are not going to stop him. And the West and NATO, uh, they bear a huge responsibility for allowing this to get to this point. Because our failure to act when Putin invaded Georgia and then Crimea, all that did was fuel his tyranny. And instead of recognizing this threat, Europe decided, well, here's a good idea. We'll become more reliant on Russian energy, which then gives Putin the upper hand. Because on Thursday, Joe Biden announced sanctions, and it all stopped short, of course, of cutting off Russian oil. And Russian oil is a big part of this because they export 700 million barrels a day to the world. California alone gets 600,000 barrels a day. So how can we actually say we stand with Ukraine when we are literally fueling Putin's war? And there's zero reason the West should find itself in this position. Canada alone could fuel the world. And we have stupidly and naively allowed the climate crowd to stop our tyrant-free energy from leaving this country, and we're paying the price. Because America and Canada could have created a global security all we had to do was partner and make this continent energy independent. And we could together then offer Europe and every other country threatened by tyrants ethical and reliable energy sources. And instead, our pipelines are blocked and our energy's landlocked for the most part. And now our NATO and our allies are handcuffed from taking the more severe actions that need to be taken to stop Putin. Pulling Russian vodka off the shelves is not a serious solution. Cutting off oil is. And so I hope that this is a wake-up call for this country. And I hope it's a wake-up call for Mr. Trudeau because he's now a wartime prime minister. And he's going to have to park his ideology and immediately change his strategy to protect this country and our well-being and our best interests. And so he and Biden both need to stop pandering to the climate crowd and they both need a new plan. They need to reverse Keystone XL. Trudeau needs to ban Russian oil uh, ships from entering Canadian territorial waters. And we need to expedite the building of oil infrastructure so that we can wean ourselves off of this tyrant's oil, blood oil, and start being an actual solution to a crisis we helped create. You know, all we keep saying is we stand with Ukraine. And yet our refusal to target Russia's energy is allowing Vladimir Putin to pull the strings while the oligarchs that we say we are going after, you know, they're all getting rich off of this. And our failure to create energy independence in the West has now left us reliant and vulnerable to these global threats, which means we're not actually standing with Ukraine because every bit of oil we buy and we are buying it daily from Putin means 
were standing on their graves. And even the premier, um, and, and I think we're starting to see the conversation come up, but Premier Ford today weighed into this because Premier Kenny has been pushing we, we are, you know, are the world off of this oil and we will be the solution. But here, here's Pre Premier Ford earlier today. We need to get uh, our pipelines going. President uh, Biden has to uh, open up our, our pipelines. Rather than buying dirty oil off of Russia, and I'll call it dirty oil, all we right, need to yeah. start producing our oil, which we have um, endless amounts of oil, but we need President Biden to make sure he opens up uh, and changes his mind uh, on the XL pipeline. Uh, it just doesn't make sense that we're, we're supporting people like Vladimir Putin. That's where he's getting his cash from. And we have to cut him off the swift, uh, 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 the swift financial services that the, the world relies on, that could put a dent in 40% of his economy. Here you go. Look, climate change is not the biggest threat. Right now, China and Russia are. And so we have to start building towards a future where we actually start waking up because this threat's not going away. And we can get cleaner energy and work towards that. But right now, everything's changed. Because the threat of war is no longer. We are in it. And we have to start approaching things in a wartime effort. And we can. We've got a very, very busy show for you tonight. A very busy show. Terry Glavin will uh, join me at 9 o'clock for a pretty lengthy discussion on how he sees this uh, going. What he says absolutely has to happen. And he's got uh, probably one of the most, he's probably one of the most experienced um, in this area, in this country for sure. So how do you stop a tyrant like Vladimir Putin? Well, not with halfway measures. And leaders from around the world have been announcing numerous sanctions against Russian interests. And uh, just uh, in the afternoon, the EU agreed to sanction Putin directly. Uh, but Joe Biden's made clear sanctions won't touch Russian oil for now, which means we're making Putin richer during this war, selling him 600, uh, letting him sell 600 million barrels of oil a day. And as my next guest writes in a really terrific piece that people should read in the National Post, he says, you know, now that Putin has launched a war, quote, his generals and his cronies need to be crushed. They need to be finished. They need to be brought to an end. Every last one of his oligarchs need to be hunted and hounded to the ends of the earth. Their billions of dollars worth of holdings in real estate and mining and every other industry and bolt hole from Chelsea to Toronto should be frozen, seized, and expropriated, expel the diplomats, shutter his embassies, evict every Russian official from every multilateral and international forum, bankrupt of a lot of them. Diplomacy does not work with these people. You can't talk peace with these monsters. The only discussion to be had with any of them is terms of their abject surrender. Terry Glavin is an author, journalist, senior fellow at the Raoul Wallenberg Center for Human Rights. He joins us now. Good to have you, Terry. Well, nice to be had. <laughs> yeah, well, you're one of very few who can write about these subjects with great authority because of your experience and your age and what you've seen through history. And so I thought you made a lot of really good points. And your point being that we're not talking about war. We're not talking about threat. We are now in it. And so we have to deal with it differently. Yeah, it's kind of my beat. And I've been following this stuff for many, many years. And um, I'm, 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 I'm interested in the fact that, and I mean, it make, makes sense, because after all, you know, what we're seeing right now in Europe is, uh, is Vladimir, Vladimir Putin has turned 
Ukraine into his own Sudetenland, his own Lebensraum. There's a major war in Europe for the first time in 80 years. But the Freedom House organization in the United States, whose work I, I follow and I, I, I try to do in my own way, um, has noticed that this week, that of course, and I've reported this before, we're in the 16th year of uh, global uh, of democracy's global retreat. And uh, we are uh, at a tipping point, in their words, uh, in a conflict between the police state bloc at the United Nations, led by China and Russia mainly, but with ancillary powers like uh, Khomeini's Tehran and Venezuela and so on, um, we're at a tipping point in a struggle between democracy and uh, totalitarianism. And um, the curious thing about, you know, everybody's sort of scratching their heads and saying, well, how is it that Vladimir Putin figures that he can get away with this bloody conquest of a European, an imperialist conquest of a European democracy? Mm-hmm. Uh, he can get away with it because I'm afraid these sanctions have not worked. They will not work. And, one, and the main reason they don't is because there is a new world. There is a new world order in mm-hmm. the old liberal international rules-based order, uh, the rules are not followed and they're not enforced. And uh, the sanctions don't matter anymore. Uh, just as an example, you were, you were mentioning uh, uh, Biden, Biden's reluctance to go after Russian oil and gas. Uh, three weeks ago um, in Beijing, where, where he was you know, given a hero's welcome at the Winter Olympics, Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin released a 5,300-word manifesto, which basically agrees with Freedom House. Yeah, we've reached a tipping point. Yeah, the democracies are in retreat, and uh, it's a good thing. And uh, it's people have called, you know, it's a new Cold War. Uh, In their jointly authored manifesto, Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin said, yeah, it's kind of like the Cold War, War only it's better. It's way better. And they're at, that, at the Olympics, when they released this, this manifesto, uh, China agreed to buy $117 billion worth of Russian oil over the next 10 years. And here's where it gets awkward for countries like Canada. In the same way that Germany has been playing a double game, and to some extent France, but mainly Germany with Russia, mm-hmm. and trying to have uh, the best of both worlds, and you know went ahead with Nord Stream 2, which now is kind of suspended, not by the Americans, but by the Germans, strangely. Um, Canada has been playing the same kind of double game with China, okay? Now, the main... A little bit elaborate here. Forgive me for going into the weeds, but the main purchaser of all of that oil and gas uh, over the next ten years from Rosneft and Gazprom will be the China National Petroleum Corporation. Now, the China National Petroleum Corporation was invited into the oil sands and has about a billion dollars worth of holdings in Canada uh, through its various spin-offs and subsidiaries. What are we going to do? 
Are we going to shut down or seize or expropriate all of the holdings of the China National Petroleum Corporation uh, for its dealings with, uh, with, uh, with, with Gazprom and Rosneft? Well, well, no. And the thing is, what, what they both said about their new relationship is that there are no forbidden areas of cooperation. There are no limits. In other words, you know, you try to stop us. If you want to get, get uh, nasty with us, um, guess what? We're going to just go ahead and we're going to continue in these relationships. We'll go ahead and continue in these massive $117 billion purchases. Uh, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And, you know, there are you know, a lot let, of people- let me. Sorry, yeah, sorry. Let me just step in, though, because Mitt Romney, you know, warned that, that Russia was the biggest geopolitical threat back in 2012. He was laughed at for that. Um, we could have avoided a lot of this, Terry, by developing our, our oil, becoming energy independent across North yeah. America. And we went the exact opposite way. And so now we have all this landlocked oil that we can't get to our allies. And, and the United States is taking Russian oil. Like, how can we say we're standing with Ukraine when we're buying 600 million barrels of blood oil now every day? that we apparently can't give up. Well, this is the thing. I, I, I mean, I'm not one of the, I, I'm, I'm pretty green on these issues, quite green on these issues. In fact, I'm not a big fan of the transnational or the, pardon me, the Trans Mountain Pipeline. And I would observe that one of the companies that's building the pipes for that pipeline uh, is associated with a Russian oligarch whose name cannot be mentioned. Um, Anyway, uh, it's a good idea, though. What you suggest is Canada should be self-sufficient. Canada should have its own energy strategy. In fact, this is something that conservationists have been arguing for a long Some conservationists have been mm-hmm. arguing for a long time. We should be producing and consuming our own, our, our own energy, uh, our own oil and gas. Uh, sure. So sure. But I think what, you know, we can have arguments and conversations and disagreements about it. But what I think that illustrates is that we have created this kind of this thing that has been described as, you know, global neoliberalism. And it was all well and good until the fall months of 2001. Everybody was focused on 911. Perfectly right that we should have been. Uh, I think this is where Romney got into trouble because he wasn't focused on 911 in the way that Barack Obama would have expected him to be. But what what happened then uh, in, I guess it was October or December of, of 2001, was we allowed China into the World Trade Organization. We put we took the knife to our own throats <laughs> and we've been paying for it ever since. You know, after the fall of the, the the Berlin Wall and the emancipation of the Warsaw Pact countries, it was all very fun for the Americans to say, yes, Reagan did it. It was actually the people of those countries that did it. And uh, the mistake I think we made there that we're now paying for is that we thought that, you know, when some, uh, you know, apparatchik controlling a, a collective farm in uh, Irkutsk suddenly changes his clothes and becomes a new capitalist and chairman of a corporation that, you know, democracy had won. Well, no, it hadn't won. 
Uh, and I, that, that's, that's the, the nature of Russian capitalism. It's, it's, a, it's a kleptocracy. It's an oligarchy. And it's not a free enterprise system. Certainly isn't a democracy. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, a lot of people have got rich in these rackets. A lot of people, you know, that we think of as perfectly respectable Canadian statesmen have made an astonishing amount of yeah. money in Beijing. And a lot, of, a lot of Americans and Canadians have made money in, in Moscow. Certainly a lot of Brits have. My God. Mm -hmm. uh, and, sure. you know, the Russians own <laughs> several blocks of the most prime real estate in London. So that's the key, I think, is understanding that we actually have built this world that we've called the rules-based international order. And it is infested with and increasingly dominated by monsters. That's they are sold to the devil. And, and yeah. dismantling all this stuff, you know, and figuring it all out is not going to be an easy thing to do. And it's going to be painful, but we have to plan ahead. And we used to laugh at Aaron O'Toole when he said we should have an institute for food security in Montreal. We need an institute for food security in this country, too, not just energy. Vladimir Zelensky uh, certainly hasn't been president for long. He was elected in 29, but he was an actor and a comedian before that. And he does have a law degree, but he ran as an outsider. He was an anti-establishment politician. He wanted to rid of corruption, get rid of the Ukrainian oligarchs, and he ran to end conflict with Russia and engage with Putin. And now he says this could be the last time we see him alive. We're talking with Terry Glavin, who knows an awful lot about Russia and how we get out or how we got ourselves into this tangled um, mess. But, you know, here's a man who, who did not run to get into war with Russia, and this is what he's, he's facing. Yeah, and it's happening all around. I mean, I, I, I in fact, you know, it's funny. The first story I filed for the, for the Ottawa Citizen I'm going back, God, must be 12 years now, was, was from the Russian Far East. I've spent some time in the Russian Far East. And, um, you know, you can look at the Second Chechen War, the destruction of Grozny, the invasion of Georgia, the, the, uh, the, um, uh, the severing of, of Abkhazia and Ossetia, uh, the, the, the uh, takeover, my God. Putin's bombing of Syria over the last eight mm -hmm. years, bombing hospitals, bombing kids. No sanctions seem to have touched him there. Uh, you know, we've let these guys get away with mass murder for years and years and years. And now it's come to this. And we're saying, well, you know, maybe if we just lathered on a few more sanctions, it's too late. I'm sorry, but it is too late. And if we're going to defend Ukraine, if we're going to come to Ukraine's aid and, 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 and comfort, we're going to have to recognize that they're going to fight, whether we want them to fight or not. I know everybody would like them to behave, but we should anticipate a very long, drawn-out guerrilla war, and we should supply them with everything that they need and ask for, humanitarian aid, refuge, refugee allowances, guns, money. And we have to go after these oligarchs. We have to go after the people around Putin, the guys who enrich Putin. And, you know, the fact of the matter is that it's, you know, oh, Russia's got nukes. Well, guess what? So do we. we if, if we're going to be afraid of these guys and not do anything because they, they're a nuclear power, 
then they will rule the world. Um, you know, it's, a, it's an economy about the size of Italy's. That's it. I mean, the, and the people of Russia are not happy with the way things are going. Um, yeah, they just want but to your point in the article, you, you talk about, I mean, they've, they've seized and they're fighting in a country that is as large as France uh, is, you know, and Ukraine. so yeah. we can't, we, Ukraine is, is, you know, bigger than France. So we can't just walk away from them. But so how do you see this then um, ending? I mean, do you get the sense that uh, Biden will have no choice but to cut the oil off? I don't see how we get out of this without this becoming very messy. As you know, uh, NATO has now invoked uh, Article 4, uh, the next is the last resort where we get called into a full-born war? Are we going to a full-born uh, war, you think? I don't think so. I, I don't, as I say, I think it'll be more like a guerrilla insurgency um, that we will be supporting. And I don't know anyone, I don't even know, I don't know any Ukrainians are actually asking for troops, you know, boots on the ground. Um, there are yeah, so many things that we can do now and should do now that we should have done before. And the thing is, all of these sanctions have been, you know, uh, formulated in a way to try to persuade Vladimir Putin not to invade Ukraine. Well, guess what? We lost. He won. <laughs> He's invaded Ukraine. So what are we going to do? What's the objective now? Right. And I think, fine, let's let's do what we can. There's a lot more that we could be doing with sanctions. We need to target sanctions. We need to do it seriously. We need to do all of those things that you read from my column. We need to expropriate all of their holdings all over the world. We need to make them scream. And the objective has to be to finish them, to rid the world of them, to end them. That's the objective now. It's got to be that. If it's not that, then all of those people saying, hey, what's the point? It's not my business. You know, all the Tucker Carlson's in the world is, why should I care about Ukraine? Well, they win too. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy to find ourselves in these times. I mean, but I think it's been coming for a while. And I think we've been naive to our own recklessness of allowing this to happen, allowing it to build up. And um, no question about it, we're going to be tested in ways. And I don't, and I think we yeah, can both agree on this, Terry. We don't have the leadership in place. I don't think we have the leadership in place that we need, uh, and they better wake up. I would agree with you there. You've been very generous with your time. I know you're on an awful lot of deadlines yourself. Uh, so I very much appreciate your uh, time, and That's I thank you so much, Terry. Okay, take care now. That's Terry Glavin, who uh, agreed to speak with me, but he, he is writing around the clock right now, so he's been uh, very generous with that. You can read him in the National Post, The Ottawa Citizen, and McLean's, but he's also got The Real Story, which he's doing on Substack. It costs five bucks a month. I've, I've already signed up, but it's great because it just kind of gives you all the big focal points that you need for your international news. So uh, if you are interested, you can go to Substack and uh, click on The Real Story, subscribe. It's cheap, but you get a lot out of it. Moscow bears sole responsibility for the deliberate, cold-blooded, and long-planned invasion. We condemn Russia's aggressions in the strongest possible terms and call on Russia to immediately cease its military action. Well, that is uh, NATO describing some of the actions that they're taking uh, today. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky told his European leaders that he is uh, 
you know, it might be the last time we see him alive. His comments, of course, come just before the Russian military entered the capital of Kiev, which he is now actually standing in front of. He said he won't leave. He's going to fight till the end. But Russian troops are now in that city, and it is a massive achievement for Putin. It happened in about 24 hours. So the next few hours could be very ugly as uh, Ukrainians have been ordered to arm themselves and fight back, and they are, and they will. They have put up a surprisingly strong fight against a military that they are in no way matched to and will ultimately not be able to beat, but boy, they are putting up a fight. Major General David Fraser joining us. He's president of Aegis 6 Corporation and former Brigadier General of NATO Ground Forces in southern Afghanistan. Good to have you. Good to be with you, Alex. All right, so there's been a ton of um, moving parts today. Um, the Prime Minister just coming out before the dinner hour announcing that uh, he, Canada, will also join with several of our allies in um, directly sanctioning Putin and a number of his uh, team uh, mates. Um, you know, I think a lot of people wondered why they didn't do this sooner, but is this enough in your mind? Is this going to start to to hit Putin? Finally, we're starting to get to Putin. Uh, going after Putin, going after Lavrov today, uh, was welcome news. I, I, I wish it was earlier because I think as soon as the Russians crossed the border, we should have we should have hit them with everything we could on the uh, the sanctions to get their attention and get them back to the uh, table to start talking diplomatic options here. But uh, better late than never, and um, it is good news. And hopefully they'll do something with the SWIFT uh, issue. And also somebody should be phoning the Chinese in the background to say, "Stay out of this. This is not your fight." And you don't want to become involved in this because we'll do the same thing to you as we're doing to Putin. Yeah, that, that would be a good idea. There is a split, though. Um, you know, Canada, Britain, uh, the United States, they are pushing for, for Russia to be kicked out of SWIFT. But, of course, there are a couple of European nations. I think it's Italy and Germany that are, are not really too excited about kicking Russia out of the SWIFT uh, banking system. But I don't see that they have a choice. Yeah, it's, you know, this is where the the the, the welfare of the majority should outweigh uh, you know, maybe a few people who are economically tied to Russia. I, you know, this, this quite frankly is how, how much do you value the democracy of Europe? Is this worth fighting for? And we need to fight for our democracy mm-hmm. and, we, and fight for our freedoms. And this is not a time for, you know, political squabbling. And so I think this is where, you know, people got to start making some hard decisions for the benefit of everybody, including those who not quite are on board. Yeah, I think this speaks to the bigger problem, which is that, you know, the West and and Europe have um, allowed themselves to become too reliant on a tyrant. And, and of course, the worry for Germany and Italy is that they could be cut off from, you know, the natural energy uh, that they rely on on, um, Russia for. But a a pox on our houses. We should have been prepared for that and not uh, done this kind of business. Absolutely. And there Listen, I mean, Canada can sell them energy if you need that. I mean, there's other alternatives that we can do here. But uh, this goes back to we have become lulled into a a sense of of laziness because of our freedoms that we've had for you know fifty seventy five years and all of a sudden now Putin you know sticks his head up and you know we're slow to react to the threat that could actually adversely affect all of Europe and this is the time where you're going to make hard decisions and probably have to tighten up your belt a little bit for a while. Yeah, no question about it. Um, you know, I think this is a real wake-up call uh, for the world. You know, you and I have talked before, and I've been talking about Russia invading Ukraine for quite some time. It was not a secret that they were going to do this. I think what is surprising is that Putin has gone so far so fast that they have now surrounded Kiev, and uh, you know, the Russia or the uh, Ukrainian president uh, Vladimir Zelensky, uh, he's armed himself. Uh, the former president has armed himself. They're ready to go to battle. They're not going to give up. But this is, in your mind, is this going to be where we start to see the real? Um, you know, ugliness of this? 
Yeah, th- this is okay. So the Russians have, have demonstrated a modicum of, of restraint when on the attack inside of Ukraine. Uh, where they're now entering the city, they're not doing it, you know, historically where they just level the city and just drive through. They've actually told everyone to stay inside and they're going slowly to get to uh, Zelensky. And, and uh, you know, the fact that he's now talking to them and then Putin is trying to bait them into talking to him is, is, is a good news story. But if the Russians start to take a lot of uh, casualties, this has the potential of going ugly really fast. And the only people that suffer when this goes ugly are Ukrainian civilians who have had done nothing to warrant this type of action. NATO today um, announced that they will be um, triggering Article 4, and so they're going to be putting in, I guess, putting 40,000 troops on standby to, to uh, you know, defend the eastern flank of, um, of, U- of, of the Ukrainian area. They're not going to be defending Ukraine. It's more to the allies that are in NATO, and, and as I understand that, that is pretty precedent-setting. Um, if we go to Article 5, which is the NATO charter, it would actually compel all the NATO members into a state of war. But we're at Article 4, so... You know, uh, how far do you think that this is going to go and how serious is it that we are now using Article 4? Uh, Putin better take note. This is really serious that we've we've instituted Article 4. Uh, I think two of the Baltic states have uh, have done this and have asked for troops. Uh, United Kingdom has already announced another uh, armored regiment going into Estonia today. Uh, Canada has ponied up uh, 3,000 troops and... Uh, so the quick reaction force the NATO has up to 20,000, and there's a, a high readiness, immediate high readiness, and then high readiness is designed for this type of situation. Um, listen, I've been doing this for over 30 years wearing a uniform. We trained for this. I've never seen it, and now we're doing it for the first time in my life. And so for, for Putin and for Russia, take note. Uh, this is NATO actually starting to, going back from a you know, political uh, alliance, we have now gone back to becoming a military alliance, and we're going to put our troops on the ground to defend NATO against any potential incursion by uh, Russia or their uh, satellites like Belarus. Yeah, it took NATO to get a, a, you know, a little while to get its act together, but it does seem to, to, they seem to be responding. Now, in your expertise and your experience, where do you think this is going? Uh, we're given, what, have, given what you've seen with Mr. Putin's actions so far. Putin will not stop at Ukraine. Putin yeah. has a desire to recreate the Soviet empire. And he wants to be uh, this, uh, this generation's uh, czar. So I think countries like Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, uh, Moldova, um, they're probably next on the, uh, on, the, on the chopping block for him. And so this is where we're going to have to put our troops on the ground and we're going to you know, someone's going to blink, but this this is going to be like playing chicken for a while because we're going to have two very big militaries looking at each other, and it's going to be up to the diplomats to make sure we don't get into an actual kinetic war. It's pretty scary. Uh, worst I've ever seen. Yeah, that's, that's, that says a lot coming from a guy like you. I mean, you, you've, you've been in combat. You know what it's like. And, and so, yeah, I, I didn't think we'd get to this point, and here we are. I, I didn't think we would get to this point. I, I thought, you know, I knew there was a potential that Putin would take, you know, Ukraine. It just, uh, he had never had any intention of just staying with the eastern provinces. He he really wanted to take it. And this actually, when you go back to history, we should have seen this coming. Uh, we yeah. all missed, uh, we all missed it. So the next thing is, well, let's not give him, give him any opportunity to go uh, anywhere else. And, and listen, I mean, I've been in lots of battles myself, but I've never been in a battle against a, a, a Russian army like this. So, I mean, this is as dangerous as it gets, and it's a, it's going to be up to the politicians to make some hard decisions and to uh, 
uh, put the military where their mouths are. Boy, oh boy, what a moment of time. Very much appreciate your time. I know you've been working around the clock. Uh, very much appreciate your expertise. We'll speak again. Thank you. Alex, always. Thank you. That is a retired Major General David Fraser, who's got a lot of experience. So if he's saying it's scary, that's when I get nervous. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can join us Monday through Friday, starting 630. I'm Alex Pearson. This is On Point.